You're listening to episode 60 of the Broken Glass Podcast, finding inspiration from those who come before us with Dr. Tish Oni. You're listening to the Broken Glass Podcast, a podcast with a mission to highlight women in the music industry through their stories, from their successes to their trials and tribulations. We'll share tools and resources available to you to make your music dream job come to life or to start that business you've always wanted to own. But most of all, you'll be a part of the Broken Glass community where we support and encourage each other and open the doors to working in music. I'm your host, Christy Jacobson, entrepreneur, music lover, wonderluster, and dreamer. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Broken Glass Podcast. Today, I have Dr. Tish Oni with me. She is a performing artist, author, and musicologist. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited you're here. You have such an amazing career and it's a little different than kind of what some of the artists that we feature on the podcast. You're very involved in jazz and performing arts and, and musicology. And I'm really excited to have you here because it's it's a very different career path that you know a lot of our audience members might not know about. And I'm excited to, to share your story and some of the work that you've done. Um, but let's just dive in and just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing right now, and then we'll kind of take it back a little bit how you got into the industry. Okay, great. Well, uh, I'm a singer and an arranger, composer, director, uh, produced a number of my own albums. I'm a conductor, a band leader, an author, uh, musicologist, jazz journalist, was a music professor for 20 years teaching lots of these things, songwriting and voice and jazz and theory and history and just a multitude of different subjects. Um, so that really informed my path. Um, I am an active musicologist now and voice pedagogue. I write a column for All About Jazz called Anatomy of a Standard. I write for Jazz Ed Magazine and Classical Singer Magazine. The Journal of Singing, I write my blog, and uh, I'm writing my second book for Roman and Littlefield. Uh, that second book is called um, Jazz Voice, A Guide to Singing Pedagogy, which is hopefully coming out next year, 2021. Uh, I also direct music ministries at a local church, and uh, I will be starting my own podcast, God willing, in November, called The Singer's Muse on uh, WGJC radio. You do quite a, quite a lot. That's for sure. <laughs> um, how did you get into music? What was your, you know, your background? What got you really interested in, in following this career path? That's a great question. And, and it, it makes me pause to think back along the way. Um, I started singing. Um, my, my, I come from a singing family, just uh, avocational. And um, we would sing in the car. We'd sing in church. I sang in church as a child all the way up into my teens and, and uh, continued singing in church through my whole life and career. Um, I also sang in school, played piano by ear until my mom could get me lessons at age five and um, continued with that. And... Um, I wrote my first composition um, and had it premiered um, when I was 16, a choral composition which I conducted uh, at my high school. So I was already kind of dabbling into lots of different 
interests that were music related. I was playing the French horn in uh, our stage band. And um, I had the good fortune of having a lot of great educators, um, music educators along the way teaching me. Um, but as a teen, music came really, really easily to me. Um, I did not major in music in college as an undergrad because I felt I really wanted to be, I don't want to insult anyone, but, but it wasn't challenging enough for me at that stage in my life. So I was a pre-med student and I majored in microbiology at Cornell, but I was putting myself through um, school as a singer in a band. And on weekends, I would go home and sing two or three four-hour concert performances uh, with this very um, popular band um, in upstate New York. And I continued doing that for about three years. And um, that was a really great uh, first experience in the music industry. And I was learning songs really quickly um, sometimes on a break, I would have we'd get an, a request, and I'd, the drummer would sing me the song, and I would have to learn it, and then we would play it five minutes later, you know, while it was still fresh right. <laughs> in my little gray cells. And so I, I, I came up learning how to improvise um, that way and feeling comfortable in front of the audience. And so I, I, I felt that that was a really uh, valuable set of experiences. And I continued with various bands. I started leading my own band shortly after that and learned how to do my own arranging and transposing of, of keys. Um, took music theory uh, and in college and was practicing it, you know, in, in, real, um, in the real world at the same time. And then... Um, just before my senior year at Cornell, I was cast in an opera um, for a summer program. I figured it was my last chance before I go to med school to uh, have a last hurrah in music or theater. And I had these auditions, and, and I got into a, a, a few different um, summer programs, and I, I decided to go abroad and sing um, in, in The Marriage of Figaro. And uh, I'd never studied Italian, but this was for an Italian audience. It was a four-act uh, opera, in all in Italian. And uh, I sang two performances as Susanna, the, the, the main uh, female character. And um, everything changed after that. The cast came around me and said, you really need to consider your career path again, because we really think that, that, that this might be it. This might be where you need to be. And so... Uh, I did decide to, to stay on that path and go to grad school for music and uh, continued to perform and teach thereafter. Well, that's really awesome. You kind of hear people who from the get-go, they really want to, you know, that's their dream from four years old. But then, you know, like myself too, you know, I didn't think of it as a viable career until I got to college. Right. So it's always interesting to hear everybody's paths and how they get to where they are and and know that it's never too late to follow that path and to switch and pivot and, and make a change. So and mm -hmm. I think um, especially with, you know, some of the work that you've done, that's, um, you know, a, a, 
a change that was probably right for you and, and right for you at the time and that. So, yeah. And you, you've been working on, um, Peggy Lee for a while now. I saw that you had a 2008, um, album of her songs. Um, how did that project come about? And then, and what, what significance does her career hold for you? That album, uh, which I called Dear Peg, came about as a outgrowth of my um, lecture recital. Uh, I was a doctoral student at University of Southern California, majoring in jazz studies. And for my dissertation, I wrote about Peggy Lee and her original music. And I had a lecture recital on that topic and performed 12 to 14 songs, I can't remember how many, with some members of her, her former band members um, and um, was able to get them excited about this project. And um, so that was really the, the way that came about. And, and how did, um Cause she's, uh, I listened to a little bit of her too. And I, you know, as soon as I turned it on, I was like, okay, I know who she is. I think the name at first, it was like, I'm not quite sure who she is. And then as soon as I listened to some of her music, I was like, I have definitely heard her before. Um, she's very jazz and, and that, did that impact your career and really push you towards that jazz or, or how did, how did learning about her and bringing her work forward into the community through, you know, the performances and recordings impact you in your career? Well, I, I had been a jazz singer for about 13 to 15 years already before I uh, decided to write about Peggy Lee as a doctoral student. Um, and so Ella Fitzgerald had been a real strong um, influence on me and Nat King Cole also and Sarah Vaughn and Peggy Lee. I had seen Peggy Lee perform uh, an Atlantic City concert on PBS when I was about 12 years old. My mom called me into the room and said, I want you to sit down and listen to my favorite singer. And so she really was riveting. She was in complete control and in charge of this band that was all male, seated behind her. She was standing in front and she called all the songs she called all the shots, she introduced the band, she started the songs, she ended the songs, and I, I was enthralled. And I thought, that's somebody <laughs> I would like to emulate. I love what she's doing, and she had it all together. You know, she had the poise and the pitch precision and the rhythmic swing sense that um, could literally beat the band. Um, and so her vocal technique matched the visual um, package that she had put together and so she was a really important early influence and then um, taking her music into um, my career kind of allowing it to to infiltrate you know what how people associate me with certain types of music um, was a real pleasure. At first, it, you know, it, it gives you a moment of, do I want to be associated with somebody else's music? Um, and, and the answer is yes, because we all come from pioneers who've gone before us. And if people look deeply enough, they see that I, I've also written 30 of my own songs, and I'm still writing. 
Um, and uh, that comes from people like Peggy Lee who were brave enough to risk um, their talent and see if they could come up with some things that others hadn't done before. And Peggy was just really uh, unique in that she was a universal artist. She was a Renaissance woman and could do a lot of different things well, which is what really appealed to me because um, I do so many things and I keep my fingers in so many different pies at all, the, uh, all times and I really always have. One voice teacher once said to me, you're, someday you're gonna have to make a choice and then she heard me sing and she said, you know what, I take it all back. I don't think you're gonna have to make a choice because I think you can actually do both. <laughs> so do, do a, a bunch of different things well. So that, that always stuck with me too, that um, most people's op opinion is that to be good at anything, you have to push aside everything else and focus on one thing. But for me, um, having a lot of, of, of gifts and talents that I pour time and energy into really helps all of them create something special altogether. Right. Yeah. I know, what is it? 10, they always say 10,000 hours and then you keep working on that one, that one skill or, or that you're trying to learn. Um, and I know for some people, like for me, I'm, I have a lot of different projects going on, but I'm not a multitasker at all. Like I have to <laughs> one thing at a time, learn it, develop it. But I think that's really awesome that you're able to kind of pull from all your different creative aspects, whether it's songwriting or singing or writing as an author and really be able to make that your, your full career. When, you know, when you say, who is Dr. Tishoni, you say, well, I'm, I'm all these things and I have all these, these different avenues. Yeah, exactly. It's been hard yeah, and to um, balance sometimes, you know, uh, but what I've noticed and another, that same wise voice teacher said to me, pay attention to what people pay you to do. Sometimes it won't resonate with what you want them to pay you to do, but <laughs> pay attention to what they really are asking you right now to do. And at that time in my life, I was thinking I wanted to be an opera singer, but I was, a, I was getting lots of money, to, literally lots of money to sing jazz every weekend, everywhere, and, and from lots of different sources. You know, uh, there were several bands that were trying to hire me and there were recording studios trying to hire me. And so I had to pay attention to that and, and listen to the wisdom of others who were objective listeners and not so much the subjective judge in my head that was saying, no, if you, if you want to be somebody, you got you to you gotta be able to sing opera well. Well, that's just not true. It's, it, it wasn't right for me. It wasn't the pathway that I needed to take. And so doing all, all these um, different things has been um, the way my brain that likes to experience variety and risk um, it really sort of keeps me ticking. Yeah. Kind of, kind of along those lines, how do you keep all that balance? Like how do you, you know, manage that, you know, is it kind of one project at a time or a bit here and there? It's really got to be a bit here and there. So, uh, I gotta tell you, I'll let you know <laughs> because <laughs> I don't ever feel like I've really achieved balance. 
Uh, I'll spend some time in the morning working on my business, you know, and then I'll spend some time later on working on my book, the book in progress, whatever book in progress is, is, is happening. And then I'll spend a little bit of time later on uh, writing the next, the next article with a deadline. You know, I've got four or five pending articles right now that need to be finished for sure by January, for sure. And don't tell anybody, but they're not really started yet. One of them has started, <laughs> uh, but three out of the four haven't started. What I've always done is really book the gig and write the music after, after right. I've booked it. You know, give myself the challenge, talk it up, get hired, and then put the time in once I know that it's going to be performed. You know, so um, when I'm in demand enough to have these, this list of, of deadlines and things that are coming, performances and so forth, um, I don't bother anymore uh, pulling out music um, that I'm not going to perform pretty soon because I don't have the time. You know, it's it, it's on a a need by need, date by date basis. So I'm always focusing, like you say, on one project at a time. When it comes to my performances, whatever's coming up next, that's got to be the first project that's in my view, my viewfinder. And then the thing that's coming up after that, I have to put some time into. Also, it's just sort of like a filing system in my mind. You know, what's coming up? Well. This is the, this is due this week. This is due the week after. But if I wait, uh, you know, on this this concert that's two months away, if I don't practice that until, you know, too late, my voice isn't going to be ready for it. So it's also about right. knowing myself well and how much time I need for every project. And so, it's a balancing act. Sometimes I feel like I'm walking the plank, falling off the ship, and swimming <laughs> back. <laughs> yeah, I I totally get that. Uh, but I always um, get back but on the ship I mean, somehow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you have so many different things, it's really prioritizing and you know, what comes first. And and like you said, understanding yourself and how you work. For me, I'm totally deadline deadline driven. So I will be the last second. You know, it was that's how I was in grad school. It's like the week before I have a big presentation. All right, here we go. It's not too late. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. If I write <laughs> 2,500 words a day right now, I can finish it and, on time. And don't sleep. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting. You know, you took inspiration from artists like Peggy Lee who did so many different things and were such strong women in their careers. And, and really, like you mentioned, like they're those pioneers of the music industry. And it's really interesting to read about their careers. I was reading about her before we jumped on the call, just a little bit more to refresh my memory. And I mean, she had an incredible career just music. And I think I saw she was acting and she was involved in so many different things. And it's, it's really cool to see how someone like that can really influence, you know, artists now and, and women looking to start their careers now. Yes, absolutely. She was in film and radio, and she was a radio pioneer. She was one of the first uh, ever to do music videos. She was extremely beautiful and photogenic and could act. And so she was one of very few people who was chosen to make the first ever music videos. 
and uh, she was the longest running Capitol Records female artist with a uh, contract for 22 consecutive years, not including the five years that she was at DECA in the mid-50s, in the early 50s. Um, so she, she really achieved so many things at the very, very top of the industry ladder, um, and she did them all extremely well. So that's inspiring to me. Someone who can do a lot of things well is someone that I want to emulate. Yeah. And then someone too, you know, having so you, someone like you highlight someone like her, right. And bring her back around. Cause like I mentioned, like when I listened to the music, I said, I know who she is, but you know, a lot of these artists start to get forgotten. And, and I think it's amazing when people can, you know, bring their catalogs forward again, you know, and you've put your own little spin on some of the songs and, and, and really made it them yours too, without detracting from, you know, what the music was. So I, I love hearing that. And, you know, you sit back and you kind of go back into the memories of, you know, all the, you know, for me, when I was a kid listening to that with my grandparents and everything. So. Yes. So much good music there with the 1100 masters that she made. Wow. She, she recorded 1100 masters, meaning songs. Right. You know, and some, some songs she recorded more than once, but she made a single recording 1100 times. Wow. And you don't really. The albums. Yeah. You know, it just, wow. <laughs> yeah. You don't see that anymore. Staggering. Yeah. Even. No. Even the, the stars life. that are at the, yeah, even the stars at the top don't, don't do that anymore. No, a day in the life back in that day, um, she would go into the studio and record six or seven songs and then uh, finish an album in a couple of days, a couple, three days maybe. Um, and, and then albums also were different, you know, they, they were a collection of singles that the uh, record label wanted to put, put forward on a specific uh, calendar timeline. So uh, the albums wound up being just the most recent collection of singles, you know, until Black Coffee, which was a Peggy Lee album um, that was the first concept album. So ever since Black Coffee, we've been creating concept albums, meaning there's a, th th a thread, a theme that connects right. all of the songs together. That never happened before before Peggy Lee. So she did a lot of things that, that people don't realize came from her brain. Right. Yeah. Pioneer there too. Wow. Um, you, you had another album too, um, that had some of her songs in just actually last year, the best part. Mm -hmm. And that also honored living songwriters as well. If I, I remember yes. correctly, um, was that, was it your work on Peggy Lee that really inspired the album? And, and who else did you honor on that, that album? Actually, it was not Peggy Lee that inspired that. Um, it was my uh, desire to highlight living jazz composers, friends of mine and mentors of mine um, that I felt had written wonderful songs that the world ought to hear. And at the same time, John Chiodini, who was Peggy Lee's music director throughout the 1980s and my collaborative guitarist on four albums, um, he was playing the Peggy Lee Project all over the country with me, taking her music 
everywhere. Um, he is a very dear friend. He's, we're like family at this point. And uh, we were talking about, we already knew he was going to be playing guitar on the album. And so it just was a natural invitation, you know, for me to say, which of your songs would you like on, your, on this album? Because he's a living composer. And so it fit. You know, the lyricist is not living. Peggy Lee wasn't living at the time that we recorded it. But uh, the interesting thing about these three songs that we chose for this project, um, celebrating contemporary composers, is that Peggy passed away before she had a chance to record any of them. So if anybody wants to hear these three most recent additions to the Peggy Lee songbook, they have to buy my album, which I recorded with John called the best part. I'll uh, so, be sure to link to that so yes. everybody can find it and, and hear her songs. Yeah. And the Grammy uh, committee was uh, really impressed with the songs too. So it did get some Grammy attention, fortunately, um, last year. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely link to that. And then uh, that way everybody can find it and hear uh, those songs that she never got the chance to record. So right. we'll, we'll include that. Yeah. Um, I also want to chat a little bit. You mentioned a podcast and I'd, I'd like to kind of chat about that and how that came about and what you're thinking it's going to focus on and, and just, you know, all, all the, all what's involved with it. Well, it's still in the formative stage. Uh, I haven't recorded any yet, but I'm recording my first one Friday, I hope. <laughs> And uh, so it's called The Singer's Muse. And uh, so there's a lot of room for interpretation uh, when it comes to that. What, what inspires a singer? What inspires a singer-songwriter? What kinds of things um, do we use for inspiration? Where do we turn for inspiration? And um, I think it's just going to be uh, an exploration of what it's like to be a singer in a lot of different styles, a lot of different genres. I plan on having guests on the podcast uh, from a, a, a many walks of the music industry and focus in one way or another on um, the singer and um, what inspires him or her. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I always love, cause you know, one of the, the highlights of talking to a guest on this podcast is hearing stories and how, you know, how they came up through the industry, how they were inspired to start music. So I'm definitely excited. I'll be on the lookout for, for that podcast as well. And are you, you know, you mentioned kind of from different areas of the industry, so different genres you're looking at maybe and yes. it's, Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I'd be welcoming people from all different types of, of singing backgrounds. And uh, so it wouldn't be, um, you know, it will be an, an eclectic show, I think, getting lots of different uh, experiences and uh, opinions and, and uh, journeys. I'd like to hear people's journeys. Yeah, no, it's, it's always cool just to hear, you know, and it inspires too, right? You hear about how someone came up and, um, you know, you might have a listener who's, you know, maybe on the edge. Do I want to do this? Do I not? 
and then it might be something that sparks them to keep going with their career and, and to, to keep powering through. Cause yes. I think that's so important, especially in today's industry, um, to, to just have that inspiration and, and tell people, yes, this, you can work in the industry. You know, yes. it's, I think a lot of people just hear the stereotypes and they don't hear what somebody's actually gone through. And it's really, it's, it's really um, energizing to hear, hear the stories and then to hear from the people who were inspired to keep going. Yeah, so absolutely. It takes a lot of, of types of people to make a, you know, it takes a lot of colors of thread to make a beautiful quilt or a tapestry. And um, I feel the same way about music. You know, everybody's talent is not going to be like mine. And I find that refreshing. <laughs> I don't want to be redundant, you know. And so everybody can, can paint their color uh, and, and make the world a more beautiful place. And that's really my goal is to um, lift up the diversity and the individuality of of different people, different singers, and find ways to celebrate beauty in different ways. Because I think the world needs beauty and love, you know, more than most other things right now. Right. And hope. We we need a lot of hope. Yeah. And and to hear unique stories too. You know, you mentioned not being redundant, just to hear everybody's uniqueness and to know that it's okay to follow your own path. You don't have to follow the path that every single, you know, pop artist has, has followed. It's okay to be different and, and to focus on a different genre or niche and, and that can be your career. So that's really cool. Um, I I also wanted to kind of chat a little about your book too, uh, jazz voice, a guide to singing pedagogy. Um, and I'm a little familiar with pedagogy because I work in music publishing, but for my listeners who may not be familiar with pedagogy, um, you know, what, what's that like putting a book together and, and, um, and what, I guess, kind of just the background of pedagogy, just so they understand what the book is kind of really yeah. about. Well, pedagogy is, um, the art and science of teaching anything. So, um, jazz voice pedagogy then is, um, how to teach jazz singing. So I've been teaching jazz singing for almost as long as I've been jazz singing which is a a long time in in my life (laughs) since I was a teenager, but I started teaching it, I guess, in my early 20s. So, um, and I've taught at eight or nine different colleges and universities as a faculty member, and uh, also as an artist in residence and or visiting professor at several more than that uh, all over the world. So I've been brought in as a multi-genre teacher, singer, crossover singer who can teach and sing classical music and uh, leader and um, French art song, Italian art song, uh, opera, jazz, musical theater. And, and I've, I've had um, the opportunity to teach some really talented, wonderfully talented students who've gone on to become big stars on Broadway and uh, great jazz singers and great opera singers. So um, pedagogy is really, you know, it's a, it's a whole different field. It's, uh, this book is really an outgrowth of, of my 20 years as a professor of, of voice and a professor of jazz. 
So um, I talk about the anatomy of the vocal mechanism, for instance, so that uh, jazz singers can understand how their bodies uh, function and how they're built and how um, the different parts work together. The physics of singing, I discuss that from the scientific point of view. Um, and um, talk about different um, ways to improvise and how to teach improvisation for teachers that, that don't um, improvise themselves. A lot of times uh, I think classical voice teachers have come to me and said, I want to read a book that you write about th that's targeted toward me to teach jazz students something uh, you know, when I'm a classical voice teacher, what can I do to help these students? And so that that's partly the audience that I have in mind for this book. So it's a tripartite audience. It's jazz singers who are actively wanting to fill in the gaps of their education or maybe pick up some pointers or tips um, to hone their own skills. Uh, also, students of jazz voice, like university students who need a textbook in jazz voice pedagogy, and also teachers who are teaching jazz voice to their students. So um, I'm, it's a 90,000 word project, 15 chapters, and uh, it's a labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> love and hate no no it's all love it's all love it's just it's hard to write it under the gun you know and with with deadlines that publishers in, invariably give you um, sometimes I'm having to write a little faster than I'd like to have to write it but um, I've been wanting to write this book a long time and I think I have something constructive to offer and I hope that I do I hope that uh, the critics are gentle <laughs> 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 and they just take it for what it is you know it's not the end all mm -hmm. my method or nothing you know um, I'm the first to admit that jazz is is a, a, a an art form where there's a lot of right answers a whole lot of different ways to accomplish something and I think that's one of the main um, points of the book is to help uh, the teacher and the student find their own way to let the voice in the room help determine what the style is going to be for that individual, which kinds of improvisation resonate for them. And also one aspect of the book that is makes it really unique is that I talk about the technique and the approaches of many of the best jazz singers in the 20th century. What were they doing in terms of resonance? What were they doing in terms of diction? What were they doing in terms of vibrato and, um, and ornamentation and their approach to uh, improvisation? I'll be talking about that and pointing people to recordings so they can hear for themselves how Ella Fitzgerald might have done this differently from Nancy Wilson, who did it differently from Billie Holiday, but all three managed to pull off you know, a miraculous recording of this... Um, rendition of some standard you know um, so the point one of the points is that there's lots of ways that we can go about these things but there are also guidelines that are important for the teacher and the student to grasp 
so that they can do the, the most authentic job with it. Right. That's one of the things I really liked. I played clarinet um, all from middle school through college. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it was more of the classical or, you know, it, pieces that were picked out for the band. Um, so I really didn't have all that much of experience with jazz, but I remember when I did, it was so much fun because it wasn't very, it wasn't, you know, you have to stick to this. It was, you know, you can, you know, add your own little flair to it. And mm-hmm. it, it was just, I don't know, it was just a lot more fun to play than a lot of the, <laughs> the classical standards. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's a really fun art form when you let go and just, just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. We played, um, I was in the full orchestra and I think, cause I wasn't in the jazz band. They didn't um, have clarinets in the jazz band at that time, but full orchestra, we did some big band music. And I just remember being like this, I, I loved it. It was so much fun to play. <laughs> yeah. It really got me, you know, it gets the students really involved, I think. And especially when you're, you're used to playing just the classical music. Um, it's, it's something that just triggers that creative side of our brains and Mm -hmm. allows us just to, to have our own expression. So, I mean, within the, the band and the orchestra. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to, um, you know, sharing when your book comes out and, um, you said next year, right. Is when it's scheduled. Yep. So the Peggy Lee book just came out in August and this one will be released probably next summer. Okay, awesome. Um, so shifting gears a little bit as we kind of come down towards the end of the interview, um, one of the things we talk about on the podcast is being a woman in the music industry and even just getting your foot in the door just in general. Um, were there any obstacles or resistance that you came across as a woman or just in general in, in building your career in the industry? And then how did you overcome those obstacles? Well, I think every woman has obstacles, you know, when they're in a a male-dominated field. And as we know, music is a male-dominated field in a lot of ways. Music production, music technology, uh, higher ed, um, you know, music teaching, music performance. um, A lot of assumptions are made about about women and one assumption that's made is that if you're female a female jazz musician you must be a singer Um, and that's not necessarily true I also play piano I also play drums you know Um, I'm proud to be a singer first but I'm also an arranger and a conductor and uh, you know a composer so there's not to have the, the, the sort of enforced limitations placed upon you by people who assume um, more than they ought to because of your gender, that can, that can be an obstacle. Um, one way that I'd say I overcame obstacles along the way is I just determined to be more excellent, um, more and more excellent at what I was trying to do. I would go home and practice. I would um, make sure that I, um, well, they, they say um, success is the best vengeance or the best payback for someone who's, who's tried to, you know, sabotage you. 
And, and it's really true. Um, the more successful you are, the less that person has any power over you or your destiny. And um, you don't need to think about, I mean, I, if I were to, to, to speak to women today, young women, I'd say don't even think about um, the, the obstacles in your path because all of us have them. Male or female, we all have them. Um, uh, it's just a, a matter of how do I get back up again and, and either try this again or tweak it slightly and try it in a new way or try a slightly different direction that might help me find greater success. So um, learning from, from all of these experiences, you know, is important. Um, something that a, a number of your other guests have said, taking the high road when you're tempted to, you know, lower the gauntlet on someone <laughs> for, for being disrespectful or for saying the wrong thing or for not getting who you are or, or what you've accomplished, you know, and, and paying you the due respect, really. Um, taking the high road is, is an important thing because the, um, humility, I think, is an important, um, a, an important character additive that we all need. And um, the more we have, uh, the, 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 the more people, I think, will admire your excellence. If you can have an excellent performance or an excellent piece of writing and be humble about it and let other people sing your praises, um, I've found that, that that really helps um, you move forward in, in the music industry and in any industry a lot better. I also find that finding ways to be a good leader by um, lifting up other people, being generous to other people, giving others uh, an opportunity to shine um, can also um, get your mind out of the victim mentality and the, the feelings like I've got all these obstacles, I'm falling over them, I don't know what to do. Um, there's always something that, that can take your mind off of that. And, and if you allow yourself to focus on something higher, um, you'll get there. Yeah, that's some great advice. Um, and I think too, finding, you know, artists and, and, and mentors who have been there, you know, and, yes. you know, kind of just going back to what we were talking about earlier with Peggy Lee, like finding, you know, those, those role models that powered through and took charge of their careers and seeing how they did it and, and learning about them, I think important too. And just, uh, you know, and I said to finding those mentors and people that you can really connect with. I think those are some, some keys too, that kind of fit along with some of that advice that you gave as well. So, mm -hmm. and, uh, last couple questions here. Um, we talked about some advice, um, but do you have any resources that you'd maybe recommend, uh, for, for other women or even men looking to start in, in the industry, you know, kind of along the lines of what you're doing with your your jazz and musicology and, and your 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 side of the industry well i think networking is a really great thing join um join groups that that lift up what what's important to you like for instance um, um the jazz education network for me 
and the National Association of Teachers of Singing, uh, also for me, and um, ACDA um, for choral directors. Um, all these groups um, can really help give you a sense of solidarity with others in the music industry. And when you get to know uh, the officers, when you get to know the membership, and they get to know you, you start becoming um, somebody that has a niche that they can go to for specific things. And so uh, that's a really great place to start, I think, in terms of resources. It's a resource that everyone really has. You can join ASCAP. You can join the Recording Academy if you uh, have those connections. I'm a member of that Recording Academy and ASCAP as well. And, and these associations have really gone a long way in helping me um, have credentials, you know, with others. Oh, you're a member of the Recording Academy, you know. Well, we talk about the, you know, we talk about uh, who's in music nowadays and, and, and what our categories are that we like to vote in and so forth. Um, so those, those associations can really help. And then I also, um, I've just been notified that I'm going to be presenting at the next Gen Conference in January on Peggy Lee. And so I'm thrilled about that. Uh, it's another opportunity for me to share my knowledge uh, about her and about how it's relevant, how she's relevant to jazz education. And I'll be um, guest um, writing an article for their magazine and an excerpt from the book will be in Jazz Times as well. So there's, it's great to be, um, to just look around at the associations and the networking that you can accomplish for yourself early in your career and stick with it. You know, I've been a, I've been a Nats member for, I won't say how many years, <laughs> a couple decades now, you know, and now I'm a master teacher for them. They call on me to give um, winter workshop uh, talks and presentations and, and to come in and teach master classes for multi-genre singing. And, and, and that's really a special, wonderful thing. It's, 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 um, I've met so many people that way, so many people in the industry uh, for whom my work is relevant, you know, my work continues to be relevant for them. And so it's just a, it's a pleasure to um, be part of all these great groups that are lifting up the same common pur purposes. Yeah, congratulations on Jen and uh, thank you for that pre presentation. Um, and, and I do agree with you. I went to uh, Illinois MEA back in January um, to work our booth. And just meeting people who were involved in the school systems in Illinois and then who were also involved in the different groups and just talking with them and hearing how knowledgeable they are. It's, it's such a great resource for building out your career. I've, I met people who were involved with Jen and other organizations throughout the country. And I, you know, just hearing their stories, it was just, you know, and, and just learning from them. It was a great tool for me as, you know, an employee of a music publisher to, mm -hmm. to really understand what goes on in at least the music education world and, 
you know, the different, you know, connecting uh, worlds, you know, in, involved in music. So it was really cool. And I think that's, Absolutely. yeah, definitely great to, to network, to find your group, you know, find your niche. Um, and there's different organizations too. I'm a part of SWIM through NAM. So, um, you know, just connecting with women in that way um, to support each other. So yeah, some great, great groups. And I'll definitely link to some of those. So that way, um, listeners, if they're in, interested in, you know, choral or jazz can, can go ahead and, and find out more information. Right. Um, and then just last question here before we go, where can my audience find and connect with you, find your music and all of your work with uh, Peggy Lee? Um, my website is probably the first place to go, and that is tishoni.com, T-I-S-H-O-N-E-Y. Um, my Singer's Muse podcast will be on WGJC radio, um, broadcasting from Greenville, South Carolina, starting in November. PeggyLee.com has some information about my new book called uh, Peggy Lee, A Century of Song, which celebrates her at her 100th birthday, which is this year. Uh, Roman.com is the publisher, R-O-W-M-A-N, and you can see the book and, and order it there. Uh, at Facebook, you can find me with um, my um, Tish Oni fan is the is the address after the slash. My Twitter um, handle is Tish Sings. Instagram, Tishoni Official. And I'm, I'm a blogger, so I write my blog, which links to my website. Um, and at um, allaboutjazz.com. I'm a columnist and I've had uh, over a million hits for my um, for my articles already and I'm I'm thrilled I, I got that uh, <laughs> over the summer. Yeah, I got my million over the summer. My first million. <laughs> <laughs> That's an exciting my, accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's from my uh, Anatomy of a Standard column and so it's a it's about jazz standards and it's a it's a wonderful opportunity for me to share my knowledge about lyrics and music theory and how they join together to form a, a marriage that makes standards last and last and last. So it's a it's a neat I think it's a neat column and I hope people keep reading it. Yeah, I'll I will link to all of these in the show notes so everybody can find you, you can find these articles, your books, your music. Fantastic. And then I think um I was listening to you on Spotify, so you're on the streaming platforms as well. So yes. mm -hmm. I'll uh, I'll link to your profile on those My two. Albums. And yep. yeah. This was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ish. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you for listening to the Broken Glass Podcast. If you like the show and want to know more visit www.brokenglassmediallc.com, subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to leave a review. Join me each week to hear new stories, learn all about the tools and resources available to you, and get tips for building a career in music. If you're interested in becoming part of a community of supportive women in music, join our secret community on Facebook at the Broken Glass Collective.